0: Amen. Let's open our Bibles to John chapter 3. We're going to finish the chapter today. The last three weeks, we've been really diving into this chapter um, of John because it spoke of the new birth and how important that is for us to understand, and not only to understand it for ourselves, but to understand that it's the most important message. Um, it's critical to our understanding of, of our walk with the Lord, is this idea that we needed to be saved, that I needed to have the Spirit of God indwelling in me. And, and Peter says that if we don't have the Spirit of God indwelling us, we are none of his. And so it is very important that we understand this doctrine of the new birth. And so as we, um, as Jesus had this interview with Nicodemus um, He finishes that, and then immediately after that, in verse 22, it says, After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he remained with them and baptized. Now John was also baptizing in Anon, near Salem, because there was much water there. And they came and were baptized, for John had not yet been thrown into prison Then there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. And John answered and said to them, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven." You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. And he who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease." And he who comes from above is above all, and he who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all, and what he has seen and heard, that he testifies. And no one receives his testimony. He who has received his testimony has certified that God is true, for he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God does not give the Spirit by measure. The Father loves the Son. And has given all things into his hand. And he who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. That's a pretty sobering message, isn't it? Some people will say, well, I believe in God the Father, but I don't believe in Jesus. Well, you got a problem, because if you don't believe in Jesus, you don't have the Father either. But Jesus said, if you believe in me then the the Father, if if you believe in me, then you have the Father also. But if you don't believe in me, then you don't have the Father also. So it all hinges, doesn't it, upon Jesus Christ, who in Hebrews it tells us that he's the mediator between us and God. There was no way for me, fallen man, to reach a holy God. There had to be an intermediary, and it wasn't a priest It was Jesus Christ, who was God in the flesh, who only alone could take that punishment, my sin, your sin, upon him, and pay that price so that we could be reconciled to a holy God. That's why Jesus is so important. His name signifies what he did and who he is. Jesus means God is salvation. Jehovah Shua, Joshua, as his mother would call him. Jehovah Shua, God is salvation, or God's salvation. Either way, it's accurate, because he is. It's all about Jesus. We sang about it this morning. It's all about you, Lord. It has nothing to do with me. And what a fitting song to sing as we look at this last portion of John chapter 3, where John the Baptist is making it very clear that he must decrease and Jesus must increase. And how important that is for us today. Amen. I need to decrease and he needs to increase. In fact, the more I increase, the more of the problem that I become. I become a greater liability to Christ the more I want to increase. But when I can die to myself, when I can get my eyes focused off of the things of this earth and the things on him, I'm going to be much better for him and much better for everybody else. Because see, self kills. The longer we think about self the more miserable you're going to be. So if you go to a a psychologist or you go to a counselor, and there's nothing against any of those unless they're teaching you wrong things, I don't need to learn more about who I am. I need to learn more about who Christ is. See, he is the solution. He's the solution. If I'm right with him, I can rest my head on my pillow. It's all about him. Everything centers on him. Amen? Aren't you glad you belong to him? I'm so glad, like I was saying before, I don't belong to the devil. And most people say, well, I didn't belong to the devil either. Oh, yes, you did. Because if you didn't belong to Christ, you belong to the devil. Because the devil has a very large umbrella of things and people in those under, under that umbrella. In fact, anything other than Christ, you are in the clutch of the devil. Does everybody follow me on that? Very important. I, and I'm speaking to the choir, so it's real easy. But it's so true. Let's go back to verse 22. Notice what he says, after these things. After these things. After what things? After the, this dialogue between Nicodemus and... After these things, this is a phrase that John loves to use, and he's used it not only in this gospel, but you remember when we were in Revelation, this phrase, after these things or after this, is a Greek phrase called metatauta. And it just keeps the, keeps the, the narrative going forward, and it gives you a sense of direction, because now we're going to be talking about something that happened after these things. And then you have to ask yourself, well, what were those things? Well, we just finished talking about Nicodemus and this dialogue. And you remember when we were in Revelation, this phrase was so critical in our understanding of the outline of the book of Revelation. You remember what it said in Revelation 119? Write the things which you have seen, number one, the things which are and the things which will take place, metatauta, after this or after these things. And if you remember, that was how we divided the book of Revelation up. In the first, two cha- or first, first chapter, we, we, were, we were brought to an understanding of the things which are, which are the things, uh, or the things which you have seen, which is a, a, an understanding of who Jesus is. And then in chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation, we saw the things which are, which is the church age, which we are still a part of to this day. We are still here on the earth. And then in chapter 4, notice what it says there. It says, after these things. And there it is again. After these things. And there's the, 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 the third section of the book of Revelation, which lasts from there until the end of the book. After the church is removed. When the church is removed, then all those things in the book of Revelation take place. And aren't you glad that they're happening after <laughs> we're taken out of here? And some would say, well, you're just being an escapist. Yeah. (laughs) You know, read that, read all that to an unbeliever and say, do you want to be here for that too? Oh, that sounds great. All my friends will be here. Really? You really want to be here through the the worst that the world has ever seen? This period of time, Jesus said, if if he didn't return and interrupt it, no flesh would survive. Does that sound like a party to you? I don't want to have anything to do with it. But John says, after these things, after this dialogue with Nicodemus, notice that it says, Jesus and his disciples, they came into the land of Judea. Now, he was already in Judea because Jerusalem is part of Judea, but he was in the city of Jerusalem. And now Jesus is going to be moving into the more rural areas of Judea. And notice, and there he remained with them and baptized. And Jesus, evidently, didn't baptize, but he oversaw his disciples doing the baptism. It tells us this in in John chapter 4. It says, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though he himself did not baptize, but his disciples. So Jesus' disciples were the ones doing the baptism and then we get into verse 23, and it says, Now John was baptizing near Anon, near Salem, because there was much water there, and they came and were baptized. I think you would agree that in order to baptize, you need much water to do that. And again, I love the, the symbolism of baptism for us as Christians now, because as we go under the water, and that's why I like to do full submersions, it's not that we can't. I remember last year we had to do a baptism out here, and because we didn't we weren't sure about the COVID and what was going on, we just dumped pitchers of water over people's heads. And that was fine. But I love it when we can actually go into the tub or into a pool and go completely under. The symbolism that that is is so is so striking. That my old man has been put to death. And as I come up out of that water, I'm raised to newness of life. It's it's, it's just symbolic of what God has already done in my life and in your life. It's it's an outward manifestation, a representation of what God has already done in you. That's what baptism is. And so John and and Jesus, they're, they're, they're baptizing. But John is baptizing in this area... And I've got this area circled here, somewhere in this area here. You can see Anon and Salem, which is somewhere in the middle between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea, right along there on the west side of the Jordan River. Um, and, and literally, it's somewhere in that area. There's some who believe it's that's Salem, and, and um, Anon is right there. Some believe it's just west of Shechem, which is right down there toward the lower part of the circle. Um, but either way, there was springs of water. In fact, when we go to Israel, there's this place called Sokni, and many of you have gone to Israel, you know what I'm talking about, but we baptize, and it's a spring, and, and, and the, it's a freshwater spring, and it's out there in the middle of the desert, practically, because it's a very dry, arid place. And then you go to this little place, and it is like an oasis, and there's literally water bubbling up, and it's all over the place, and we're all in there you know, swimming and having a great time, and it's a wonderful place. We do baptisms there. But it's somewhere in that area, in that area where John was baptizing his disciples. Notice in verse 24, back in our text, it says that John had not yet been thrown into prison. And obviously the John that we're talking about is John the Baptist, not John the Apostle. It's sometimes as you read the John's Gospel, you have to understand um, who he's talking about. He's talking about John the Baptist here. And remember, John the Baptist was thrown into prison because he was really exposing Herod Antipas and Herodias. He was exposing their illicit affair and their adultery because Herodias was married, married to Philip, who was Herod's brother. And Herod Antipas took her to himself. And John was saying, Oh, no, you don't. And he was speaking truth to authority. And it cost him his life, didn't it? We know that John was not afraid to speak the truth. And there was something in the other Gospels that lead me to believe that there's something about John the Baptist that Herod, he knew he was speaking truth to him. In fact, the only reason he got put to death is because he got tricked by his daughter-in-law, Salome. You remember what happened. As you look at this verse, you can also understand, and this is important for you to understand as you read the Bible, when you read a verse like 24 where it says, for John had not yet been thrown into prison, that would suppose, and you would understand that this gospel then was written after that occurred, right? Because how are you going to know unless it already occurred, right? And so, these three Gospels that precede the Gospel of John are called the Synoptic Gospels. And John's Gospel, as you remember in our introduction many moons ago, that uh, it was a, 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 a Gospel that was really, in a, uh, uh, it came last. And John wanted to make sure that everyone understood that Jesus is God. In fact, that was the whole thrust of the Gospel, right? Right? In fact, in chapter 20, verse 31, he says, These things are written, why? That you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. And so that is the thrust behind this gospel. And so now we get to verse 25, and he says, Then there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. And remember, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. It was a, d- a different kind of baptism than what you and I go through. It can include repentance, but but it, but when we are baptized, like I said before, and we can read about this in Romans six and also in Colossians chapter three, it talks about as Christians, when we are baptized, we're baptized into Christ's death and in His resurrection. Okay, and so John's baptism was one of repentance. It was a water baptism. And there arose a dispute because there are a lot of things that the Jews did, a lot of rites and rituals that they would go through to purify themselves. But, um, but this was different. In Matthew 3, John says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. Repentance. It was a water baptism. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And we know that that's what Jesus did. He baptizes us with the Holy Spirit. We see that on Pentecost, on the day of Pentecost. But John's baptism, one of repentance. And in Mark chapter 1, John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching what? A baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And John the Baptist would look at his cousin coming to him to be baptized. And he, John would tell his followers, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He would point all of his followers to John, the forerunner, the forerunner. Notice in verse 26, And they came to John and they said, Rabbi, he who is with you beyond the Jordan, speaking of Jesus, to whom you have testified... Because John did testify of his cousin, Jesus. I mean, think about that. Would you testify that your cousin is God in the flesh, knowing what you know about all your cousins? I know my cousins, and they know me. None of us would be testifying to the other about how, yeah, you know, he is God. (laughs) No. But John looked at Jesus, his cousin, And he said, this is the one. I've known him all my life, and there is no sin within him. What great, what a great proof text. Because if someone in his own family can attest to his deity, I would say that's a pretty big deal, wouldn't you? In addition to all the hundreds of other things, the prophecies, Jesus is God in the flesh. We must do something with him. For the unbeliever, we have to come to him. Jesus said to Nicodemus, remember, you must be born again. It's not an option. If we are going to go to heaven, everybody wants to go to heaven. Is there anybody here this morning that doesn't want to go to heaven? There's nobody who doesn't. Or everybody wants to go to heaven. But the question is, what's the parameters of heaven? How do you get there? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes unto the Father except through me, because he was the only one who paid the price by spilling his own godly, holy blood on the cross for you and I. And God, the Father, accepted it, and it was a done deal. And that's why Jesus on the cross could say in the Aramaic, to tell us, day I, it is finished. The price of the redemption of man has been paid in full. He basically took out that giant rubber stamp and he stamped all of humanity. And all we have to do is believe in what he did. How simple is that? And yet, for most people, that's the biggest stumbling block. You mean I I don't have to do anything to earn it? No, you just believe in him. Well, that's too easy. I can't do that. Okay. (laughs) You know, aren't we stubborn? God gives us a free gift. He opens up the smorgasbord, you know, and he he offers everything for us. And all we got to do is come and dine, come and be with him. And yet we're like, "No, no, I got to feel like I got to earn it. I got to do something to earn this." Well, to one of the qualifications of heaven is to understand that you can't deserve it and you don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. I never could deserve it. I could never do enough good things to get to heaven. But notice John's disciples here, they're like Lord, the one that you've been testifying of beyond Jordan, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. All are coming to him. Do you pick up a little jealousy? Do you pick up a little bit of a spirit of competition here? It's not uncommon. It seems that John's disciples weren't aware of what John the Baptist's ministry was all about. And he did tell them, he tells us right there, he says in in verse 28... You know, you yourselves bear witness that I said that I am not the Christ. I'm the forerunner. I'm the one who came before. In fact, he says this, "...I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the ways of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God." In Malachi, behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. This, these two verses are speaking of John the Baptist's ministry written hundreds of years before he would even be born. Isaiah wrote that 700 years before John the Baptist would even be born. That's a long time but that was his ministry. He was the bridegroom. He was the one to take the bride to prepare her, to get her and bring her to him. And once the once the, the friend of the bridegroom, the best man, once he was handed off the bride to the bridegroom, his job was done. And blessed is John, I tell you. Can you imagine? His ministry only lasted 6 months. And yet, the most significant six months. Don't ever gauge a ministry by how long or short it is. Because from all outward uh, understanding of what John did, his ministry was a complete failure. And not only that, but he was beheaded in jail. Six months. Ah, but God sees very differently, doesn't he? He does. He sees things very differently. So we ought not to size up ministries. Very wrong thing to do. But John was that one. And notice, they loved John. They loved John the Baptist. They'd been hanging out with him. They wanted to follow him, but they failed to realize what his real purpose was in all of this. They wanted the movement to grow, to continue, and perhaps to be involved in it themselves, which they were. And like normal people, when, you, when something big is happening and, and there's a lot of attention, most of us like to latch on to that. And if you're at the ground, you know, if you're at the ground zero of that work, there's a lot of excitement. And you want it to keep going. You want it to continue to grow. There's it's a very natural thing. But John says, "Guys, you don't understand. My job is done here." And that's why he would say in what chapter 2, he would say or in chapter 1, "Behold the lamb of God, follow him. I'm done." That takes a real man. And it takes a man who really understands his purpose and what God's plan for his life was to be able to say to them, guys, this has been really great. I've had a wonderful time. This has been the greatest joy of my life to be baptizing people and to be around you and to be pointing the way to him. But now he's here. I must decrease. I must decrease. And he must decrease increase. And again, this hint of jealousy. And unfortunately, this often happens even in the church. You know, there's Christian leaders who have groups of people following them. They have a lot of Twitter followers, a lot of Facebook followers. And even though they're on the same team, they serve the same God, they, have a, they may even have a same or similar vision they're at odds with one another because of how big one is getting and how the other one is not so big. And so there's, there's always this uh, jealousy and this kind of infighting, and it's a really carnal thing. And unfortunately, even in the, in the church today, in America, in the world for that matter, there is still a lot of carnality, even within the Christian church here in America. You know, if the Apostle Paul were to be alive today, he would write a letter called Americanians. (laughs) Instead of Corinthians, he would write Americanians. And he would be addressing our carnality. Not necessarily you, but but if you're like me, I'm aware of carnality in my life. I don't like it, I want it to go. And I imagine you do too. And you know, we are blessed to be in a movement, in a denomination, if you will, that holds the Word of God in high esteem. And why wouldn't a church hold the Word of God in high esteem? If you go to a church where the Word of God is not being opened, I would encourage you to leave that church. If you're going to a church where all it is is worship and smoke and mirrors and lights and entertainment, you better run. But often in the church, there can be men and women jockeying for position. And again, there's nothing wrong with being excited and being blessed. There's nothing wrong with that. I wish we had even more servants in the church. There was a time many years ago where we had so many people wanting to get involved. But it seems like COVID has come and struck at the heart of the church and just hurt so many people. And many people will never see again. I don't know Why? but what are we doing? Why are we doing what we're doing? Is it for Jesus? Is it for him to the end that people will come into a right relationship with him and be saved? Or is it about us? Like we sang this morning, it's, it's all about you. You know, it's not about me. It's not about me. It's not about us. But are we competing for position, or for notoriety? These are things that we have to examine, don't we? I have to examine in my heart all the time. It's very easy because we, we, grow, we grew up in a culture, folks. We grew up in a system in our country where success means big. Success means more. Success means flashy. Success means this. And we've grown up and, and we can't. It, it seems like it, it's, not that we, it's not that we can't, but I think maybe the word is won't. We have a hard time justifying those things. In Mark chapter 9, it says, Jesus came to a Capernaum and when he was in the house, he asked them, what, was, what were you disputing among yourselves on the road? But the disciples kept silent, for on the road they were disputing among themselves who would be the greatest. And he sat down and he called the twelve and he said to them, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Boy, there's a, a great uh, idea for ministry. And then he took a little child and set him, set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, and I love that, he took him in his arms. Would have loved to have been that child to have the very physical arms of Jesus wrapped around you. I'd never wash myself again. <laughs> he took a little child, set him in the midst. When he put his arms around him, he said, whoever receives one of these little children of my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. And then he says something interesting in verse 38 there in Mark 9. He says, Now John answered him, saying, Teacher, we saw someone who does not follow us casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he does not follow us. But Jesus said, Don't forbid him. No one one who works a miracle in my name can soon afterwards speak evil of me, for he who is not against us is on our side. I love that. But yet, if he's not one of us, then you know, the, the natural thing is to you know, shoot at him and to get him away because he's not part of our team. I think Christianity is big enough for all of us <laughs> and for every ministry that might be on the, on the planet. I don't think we have to worry about um, having you know, enough space. There's, there's plenty of space. In fact, there's so much space. What did Jesus say? The harvest is ripe, but the laborers are few. And whatever that means to you, you know, God may not call you to be a missionary. God may not call you to be in a, in a, in a formal you know, ministry. But we are all ministers. We are all called to share the good news wherever you're at. God needs people in the workforce. He does. Because who's going to tell them if they're all in, in the church, you know, and, and they got, you know, they're serving or, or they're um, pastors and teachers? We need people out in the real world, too. That's how people see. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 3. And again, John is kind of pushing away this idea of this competing you're of John and I'm of Jesus. Paul addressed that in 1 Corinthians 3. Look, let's look at the first three, or first nine verses. It says, And I, brethren, Paul says, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. And I wonder, in the church at large, in America, if, if that fits many of us. Maybe not any of you. Maybe it's only me which may be true right for where there are still envy and strife and divisions among you are you not carnal and behaving like mere men for when one says i am of paul and another i am of apollos who these were two teachers he says when one says this and i'm of paul and i'm of apollos he goes are you not carnal who then is paul and who is apollos but ministers through whom you believed as the lord gave to each one i planted Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. So we are all fellow workers in this. There's really no one, and we ought not to fall into that kind of carnality where we start comparing one another. In verse 21 of that same chapter, he says, "'Therefore let no one boast in men, for all things are yours.'" Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, who is Peter, or the world, notice, or life or death, or things present or things to come, all are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. I don't know, that kind of wraps up everything. Didn't Jesus say the meek shall inherit the earth? You may not feel like it right now, but folks, do you recognize that we are going to inherit the earth We will spend a thousand years on this earth after the great tribulation period, after Christ returns and we return with him. We will spend a thousand years. You, brother and sister, we will inherit this earth. And it will be much better than it is now. And it gets even better than that, because at the end of that thousand years, what happens? We get a new heavens and a new earth. Materials of that new heavens and a new earth are made of gold and silver and things, precious things. For eternity, we'll be in that state. I don't know about you, but that's good news for us, isn't it? In 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7, it says, "'For who makes you differ from one another, and what do you have that you did not first receive?' Now if you did indeed receive it why do you bo- or I'm sorry now if you did indeed receive it why do you boast as if you had not received it We have been given everything God has given us everything in fact that's what worship is it's a response right to what God has already done We don't worship God nothing comes from me I'm responding to what he has done that's what worship is because if I if I wasn't responding to him where would my worship be I'm responding to him because of the great things that he's done. Just the, 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 the fact alone that you saved my life for eternity, that I'll never see death in hell. Real, spiritual death in hell. Eternal torment. I'll never see that. That alone is to <sighs> cause me to fall on my face and worship him. Oh, I wish, I pray that God would even grab even a greater uh, share of our hearts with that idea. Me included. Because if I really understand that, that will transform our worship of God. It really will. It'll change us. The more we think about just that fact alone. Not, and, and, and then you factor in all the other things. Oh my goodness. It's incredible. So our worship is a response always he does, we initiate, or he initiates, we respond to what he has initiated, all that he's done. That's worship. That is worship. And sometimes it is a sacrifice of praise, because you don't feel like it all the time, and neither do I. There are many examples in the Bible about that, of worshiping God even when your heart is not in it, and the devil's right there going, you're such a hypocrite. You can say, go away. Go <laughs> away. Go away. It's better for me to worship when I'm struggling and when I'm having a hard time. See, the world, anybody can rejoice when things are going well, correct? When everything is going well. I mean, if we have those days, don't we, where everything is just like, wow, this is great. And then we have 99 other days that we're just like, everything is just falling apart. Even on those days, to get up out of our pity party and to... Worship him, however you do that, through, sing, through singing, through serving, whatever it is that you do, worship him. He is worthy, amen. amen? John said back in our text in verse 27, he says, A man can receive nothing unless it's been given to him from heaven, and everything that we have has been given to us. Even the salvation and the grace, right? For grace you've been saved. By grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. What? It is a gift of God. A gift is something that's given, not something that's earned. Not of works. I can't earn it, lest any man should boast, otherwise I would. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right. Notice the right, not even the privilege. I mean, it is a privilege, but notice that he says it's a right that you have as a child of God. Wow. You have the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. You have the right to be a child of God if you believe in his name. That is awesome. No one can boast and say they have gotten anything of their own accord. Nothing. We'll just look at a couple of these. We've received everything from him. in John 6.35 Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. That means he's got it all covered. He's got our, all of our needs met. But I say to you that you, have, that you who have seen me and do not believe, and all that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will no, wise, no means cast away. He's given us everything. Even Jesus before Pilate in John 19 He went again into the praetorium and he said to Jesus, Where are you from, Jesus? And Jesus answered Pilate and said, Nothing. And Pilate said, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? And I love what Jesus said. You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you where? From Rome? Because you went to law school? Because of me. Unless it had been given to you from above, therefore the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. No one can boast of the power. All power. Romans thirteen, we know this verse very well. All power. Let every subject let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by him. He gives them every authority. Yes, God put Donald Trump into office. Yes, God put Joe Biden in office. And what is it doing? It's stirring things up, isn't it? We've all been stirred up. We have to be praying, but we also have to remember where our heavenly, where our home really is. Don't get me wrong; I'm, I'm a patriot. Right to the heart and to the bone. <laughs> and I will continue to vote and I will continue to pray for the right things. For the things that are important to God. But I'm never confused about where my residency, where my citizenship really lies. Don't ever get that confused. I'm a Christian first and I'm an American second. And if you get those two confused, you're going to have a lot of hurts. Remember where it is. And again, don't get me wrong. It's not that we don't support. We, you understand what I'm saying. If you know me at all, you know what I'm talking about. So back in our text, he says, You yourselves bear witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. And John knew who he was. He, he, didn't, he wasn't um, unsure of his mission. He, he, it was very clear to him. And he made that very clear to all, but John's disciples, we can understand in this passage, they're li- like, like Jesus' disciples. They were slow to learn, and they didn't quite get it. And that makes me kind of happy because I'm kind of that way too. <laughs> Aren't you glad that the Bible's honest? It doesn't say that the disciples had it all together, and the first time Jesus spoke to something to them, they're like, Oh, I get it. You don't even need to explain the parable. It makes total sense to me. <laughs> No, it wasn't that way at all. They're like, what did that mean? And I'm like, oh, thank God that's there, because I can relate to that. I can relate to that. But his calling and mission were written hundreds of years before he was even born, and we looked at that already in Isaiah and Malachi. But even, even at his birth, the angel Gabriel coming to Zacharias, his father, what did he, what did he say? In Luke chapter 1, verse 13, the angel said to him, Gabriel, do not be afraid, Zacharias. Your prayer is heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear a son. Even in your old age, you guys are really old, but guess what? You can have a child. And they're like, oh, are you serious? And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So not only did John get the benefit of having prophecies hundreds and years of advance, but then he also got an angelic visitor speaking to his father before he was born, basically saying the same thing. That's pretty good, I would say. So verse 29, he says, John says, "...he who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore my joy is fulfilled." The bride, you and I, we are called the church, the ecclesia, or ecclesia. We are the ones. We are the bride. And the bridegroom is Jesus. Oh, I messed up that slide. And the friend of the bridegroom is John the Baptist. The friend of the bridegroom was to prepare, to be an aid to the, the bridegroom. He was to get things ready. He was to bring the bride to the bridegroom. And this is the first time in the New Testament that we see this term bride being used. We see it two other times for sure in Matthew chapter 10, 35 and Luke 12, 53 but it's speaking of a of a granddaughter or a daughter, but here it's speaking of, for the first time, the bride of Christ. We are the bride. The word is nymphi, which is um, where we get our... Um, it comes from a verb, nupto, where we hear get the word nuptials. When people are married. A betrothed woman, a bride. And we see this word in other places, too, and just really quickly the Lord, uh, or John, through the Spirit of God, speaking of the Bride of Christ. In Revelation, let's just look at one of, or two of them. In Revelation 21, 19, it says, one of the angels came to John and says, come, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. That's us, that's you and I. In Revelation twenty two seventeen, and the Spirit and the bride say, come, and let him who hears say, come, and let him who thirst come. So John is bringing the bridegroom, or bringing the bride, excuse me, to the bridegroom, this wonderful friend of the bridegroom. And notice what he says there at the end of verse 29. He says, therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. The, the word here means to fill up, to cause to be complete. My joy is complete now. I mean, you can imagine John saying that. And his disciples saying, what do you mean your joy is complete? We want this movement to be bigger and we want to be your CEOs and your CFOs and you'll be the head honcho. What do you mean your joy is fulfilled? You mean we're not going to build that big high rise in California? And John's going, no, no, we're, my joy is fulfilled. Do you find fulfillment in serving the Lord? I know some of you, hopefully all of you do. Are you serving the Lord? Are you walking with him? Do you find fulfillment in doing the will of God? There's a great joy. There are blessings for obedience, aren't there? For following the Lord and to to have a pure heart. May the Lord give us all a pure heart. And how do we get a pure heart? We we pray for that and we we read his word because the filth of this world folks is all around us it's inundating us we are living in a in a culture it's it's a cesspool and because of that it behooves us to come out from among her and be separate says the lord right that means the entertainments, the music, all the stuff that we hold to. We have to really examine that carefully because it will dull you. It will dull you, and it will lead you into a certain place. There's no way you can be neutral to it. If you're in it, you're going to be affected by it, but you must separate from it. Otherwise, we will be a part of it, and we will be hurt through and through. In Jeremiah... Chapter 9, verse 23, says, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches, but let him who glories glory in this. Let us glory in this, that he understands and knows me. That's it. Let him glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness Judgment and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. But he must increase, and I must decrease. We must decrease. This is the goal, isn't it, of our lives, to decrease, the Lord increasing. And it's not an attitude, um, it is certainly not the attitude of the world, and certainly not the attitude of America. Unfortunately, the attitude that is being applauded and encouraged America, and not by all, but many, is to climb that ladder. Climb that ladder and step on anybody who gets in your way. To climb that corporate ladder, whatever that ladder is in in your job that you do. That's the mantra of the United States. That's the mantra of the world. You climb and you step on anybody who gets in your way, that you can get to the top. You can be the king of the hill. But he must increase and I must decrease. Is Jesus' life, his spirit in you, his way of doing things, are they increasing in your life? Or is your will, your plan, your desires, are those things increasing in your life? What did Matthew, what did Jesus say in Matthew 16? Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It doesn't mean that you can't enjoy life, but what is your life all about? Is it seeking something? I had a desire, a will for my life, and the Lord intervened wonderfully in my life and set me on a path that was completely different from everything I had been doing in my life up to that point. I wanted to be a traveling classical guitarist, and that's what I was starting to do. That was my goal in my life. And God intervened and changed me completely, turned me around, and I turned back, and I never looked back. Because he fulfilled me, everything. I mean, how can you argue with the Spirit of God in you, knowing that you're forgiven, knowing that you've been saved? Is there any school that can do that to me? Is there any gratification and any vocation that I choose that can do that? And again, it doesn't matter if you're in a vocation. Serve the Lord in it, right? Wherever you're at, serve the Lord. Don't feel guilty about this at all. I'm just saying that it's important that we understand. Let's follow him. Let's take up our cross and follow him. In John chapter 12, he says, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces grain. Jesus did that. He died. And what came out of that, the glorious birth, The new life for us, the salvation, and dying to ourself is what we need to do. And in this, Jesus will be increased in our life. Why would we want to settle for anything else? Or why would we want to put a lid on the Spirit of God working in us who has indwelt us? The world has certainly seen enough, hasn't it, of humanism, what men can do? I've seen enough. I don't really care to see anymore. I know what man can do. They can build big buildings and they can have lots of money. They can have a big show. But it's nothing compared to what Jesus can do. And this is why it's so important for the world to see us, the church, filled with the Spirit of God, fulfilling God's purpose for our life in this world, worshiping him, fulfilling the Great Commission. But see, the church becomes invalid. It becomes invalid to the world And unnecessary when the world sees the church acting just like the world. That's why people don't, they have a hard time because why are you the bride trying to be like the world? Why are these worldly elements in your life? Why are you so concerned what everybody else is concerned about? Where is your faith? And I think Jesus would ask us the same thing. We shouldn't be giving in to the culture and the pressure, the social pressure. The church should not cave in to the woke culture, this cancel culture. But we need to awaken. We need to awaken, right? And don't buy into the critical race theory, which is making things worse, causing... It's actually creating a bigger problem than what they, they think that's going to solve something. No, it's, it's making things much, much, much worse. The whole thing is racist. Have you read about it? Do you know about it? Have you read about it? I would encourage you to read about it. I've got an article if you want. Email me, office at and I'll send it to you. You can read about it. Know what it's about because it's permeating everything and, and creating a lot of problems between people. And I love the fact that we can all gather here and we are all different colors, races, everything, and we love each other. There's no problems. I don't know, does anybody, anybody have a problem? I don't have a problem. I love all of you. I don't care. You could come in with green skin. I don't care the color of your skin. I don't care where you've come from. You love Jesus, then I love you too. And even if, even if you don't love Jesus, I love you. We should love him, right? But don't buy into that critical race theory garbage. Read about it. It is demonic. Demonic. You have to know, understand what it is, because the tentacles of it are so slowly reaching in and choking everything. Before long, this country, and it's already starting to happen, is going to be something completely different than what it was two years ago. Be very, very careful. Jesus said, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of of life... You know, these things are passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides. In Romans 12, you know, Paul tells us, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice and being not conformed to this world, but renewing, being transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's what we need. We need to turn off the television, we need to turn off the social media. We're inundated with so much truth, with so much false stuff. We don't even know what the truth is anymore. I know what the truth is. It's right here. This is all I know and all I care to know. And the more I know this, the more peace I have. But the more I know about that other stuff, all of a sudden my peace slowly evaporates. Do you know what I'm talking about? I think you do. So what are you going to do about it? (laughs) I could talk about it all I want, but how does it relate in practice in my life? But Paul's life was one of sacrifice. He knew this idea of decreasing so that Christ might increase. In Philippians 3, we're not going to go through all these for the sake of time. But I would encourage you to either take a picture of that or I can send it to you or whatever. Just write them down because we're only going to go through a couple of these. But notice what Paul says. He was very aware of this idea of being less and Christ being more. And he went through it not only spiritually, you know, in his personality, but he also went through it physically. What does it say? In Philippians 3, verse 4, If anyone thinks that he may have confidence in the flesh, I more. I was circumcised on the eighth day, of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Concerning the law, I was a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, I persecuted the church. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, I was blameless. Meaning he he did all those things. But what things were gained to me, notice, these I have counted loss for Christ. All these things are nothing to me. I am decreased and he might be increased in every way in my life I also count all things lost for the excellency notice of the knowledge of Jesus my lord whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him and having my and not having my own righteousness which is from the law but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. Boy, that's something that the church, we don't want anything to do with about. We, don't want, to, we want ice cream. I don't want to do that. But see, that's part of it, isn't it? Being conformed to his death. That means putting the old things to death. That I could decrease, that he could increase. What did he say in 2 Corinthians 12, verse uh, 7, in and, 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 and the 10th verse there? He says, therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities. Speaking of this eye malady that Paul had, that he prayed three times for the Lord to remove it, and he said, my grace is sufficient for you. What did Paul say to that? I take pleasure in my infirmities and in reproaches in needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He understood that he had to decrease. He had to decrease. So don't be surprised when you're minimalized, when you're minimized, when you're marginalized by those around you. Guess what? You're going through a process of being decreased. But while you are decreased, God is increasing in you. Don't take it personal. They did the same thing for him, to him. And if he is the master, they're going to do the same thing to you. The master is not better than, or the the servant is not greater than his master, right? And God doesn't need superstars, does he? He doesn't need a big name to draw a crowd. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26, he says, You see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things of the world. I qualify, great. (laughs) The base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. I'd rather be chosen by God than to be applauded by the world. But you have to answer that question for yourself. Am I willing to decrease that he might increase? Am I willing to suffer loss for his sake? That's a hard word, folks, and I know it is. I know it's hard to hear these things. But we have to face it. We have to ask, Lord, where am I? Why do I do what I do? Sometimes even what we perceive as negative causes the word of God to increase. We don't have time to go in these, but I'll just give you the verses. Remember, Paul and Barnabas, they had to separate because Barnabas wanted to bring Mark with him on their second missionary journey, and Paul didn't want anything to do with Mark at the time because he abandoned them on their first trip. What seems like a negative thing actually turned out for the better because what did God get at the end of this? He got a buy one, get one free deal. Because now he's got Paul and and, and Silas and Barnabas and Mark. Now instead of one missionary team going out, now he's got two. (laughs) Sounds like a Romans 8.28 thing. All things work together for the good, even in my boneheadedness. God got two. He got a BOGO. Did that surprise him? No. But the church has always grown as a result of persecution. It increases... When we are decreased, it increases. What does it say in Acts 13, verse 42? It says, When the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, notice, speaking to them, persuading them to continue in the grace of God. And, um, oh, here it is. Verse 45, but when the Jews saw the multitudes, that they they were filled with envy now and contradicting and blaspheming, they opposed the things spoken of by Paul. They, they opposed those things. And then in verse 49 of that same chapter, and the word of God, the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. Why? As a result of... Things going really well and everybody agreeing? No, as a result of persecution. So the, the word of God spread was increased because the church was undergoing a press. And it seems like the, the devil has learned this, this lesson. Now he doesn't, he, he's coming at, it, at us at all fronts. He's not just trying to go from without attacking the church. Now he's, he realizes, well, if I do that, I know the church is going to grow. So I got to do something else. I'll join the church. I'll come right, I'll sit right in the pew. I'll listen to them, I'll agree at everything. Yeah, that sounds really good. Ah, but did God say? And he's joined the church. And many churches are okay with Satan being a part of their fellowship. Jesus needs to increase. And we need to decrease. Notice back in verse 31 in our text. We're going to move along quickly here. He who comes from above is above all, and he who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth, and he who comes from heaven is above all. Jesus, the only authority, because he came from heaven, he has the right. He has the right. He is above all. He is above all. And what he has seen and heard, that he testifies. And no one receives his testimony. Isn't that what a faithful and true witness does? It basically tells. It speaks and tells of the things they've heard and seen. That's what a witness does. And Jesus, the Bible tells us, he's the faithful and true witness. Because that's all he's done, is tell the truth. He is told from heaven what these things are. The things that we ought to be concerned about. That's why a witness, an eyewitness in the court of law is so important. Because when somebody can say and testify, not only did I see, but I heard it. And you get more than one, one or more or like two or three eyewitness accounts, you better have a really good lawyer. It's probably not going to save you. <laughs> Somebody's got people seen and heard it. Yeah, there's three people. Oops. Sounds like you're going to be wearing numbers across your chest for quite a while, Right? But Jesus, he spoke those things. In verse 33, he who has received his testimony has certified that God is true. Certified that God is true. That's what we do. We've heard the word of God and his disciples and us. We certify. We say yes, that is true. Doesn't it ring true in your heart when you read the word of God? remember being a very, before I even knew anything, as I in the process of me getting saved, I mean, there was a definitive moment. And I think it was right after that where I knew something had happened. All of a sudden, I, I'm reading the Bible, and I'm just reading it, and the things are leaping off the page. I was in the Gospel of Matthew, and I was just reading through it because I was told to go to Matthew, and I'm glad I did. But it just leaping off the page i was certifying oh that's true oh that's where it came from oh these things that i've been learning all my life that i've heard now i see it in black and white oh my i mean it was it was a eureka moment i certified that what god has said is true and we all have too we certify it for whom god has sent speaks the word of god for god does not give the spirit by measure i love what it says in the king james version it's a little clearer this verse And I think you would agree with me. It says, for he whom God hath sent speaks the words of God, for God gives not the Spirit by measure unto him. He is the fullness of the Godhead. In fact, that's what Colossians says, right? Where is it? There it is. Colossians chapter 2. Oops. Having a problem here. There we go. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. All the fullness in him. And you are complete in him. You are complete in him. Yes. Whether you're single or whether you're married, you are complete in him. Marriage doesn't complete you. When you were single, you were already complete in him. Right? That's what it says. And the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hands. He's given everything. He's giving uh, him authority over all things, over all flesh, as it tells us in John 17. He's committed all judgment to the Son. He's delivered all things to Jesus. No one knows the, the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son And you remember the verse that we know and love so well in Matthew 28, verse 18. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. It's all about him. It's all about him. Finally, in our last verse, he who believes in the Son of God and, and the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Notice that it's believing in Jesus that merits us eternal life, and nothing else. Nothing else. Not baptism. Nothing. Faith in Christ alone In Mark 16, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. That means that belief in God is what gets me to heaven. That's the main thing. In John 3.18, he who believes in him and is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God. Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's nothing else. It's belief in him plus... Nothing, right? So important, so important. So receive Jesus. Receive Jesus Christ into your heart and in your life. And most of us in this room know Christ, and I'm really glad for that. But I would encourage you to draw much nearer to him than you ever have because the time that we live in, folks, you know, is very crazy. And you need to have your armor on. We need to have our armor on. You need to be in the word of God. If you're not, you're going to get twisted. You're going to get mangled. <laughs> you're going to have many sorrows as a result. Fill your heart with the love of God revealed to us in the scripture. That's the best remedy for the world that we live in. Do you believe that? I really do. I really believe that. And so make it a point this week to say, you know what, Lord, however much I'm spending time with you, I'm going to double it. (laughs) I'm going to double it. Get up earlier. Stay up a little later. Get rid of some of those programs you're watching on television. Instead of watching the next episode, spend that time in your Bible. As much time as you can. Amen? Let's stand and pray. Father, we thank you for the exhortation, Lord, that we've received, Lord, and we thank you for John, uh, John the Baptist's heart, God, and that Jesus must increase and that He must decrease, and Lord, we 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 understand the same thing in ourselves, and Lord, help us to, in spite of this difficult message, God, that we would hang our head high because, Lord, we know that these things are are to be, and we know that, Lord, um, you suffered before. You were glorified. And Lord, we know that there is still things ahead of us that are going to be challenging and even difficult. God, help us to surround ourselves with each other. Lord, to be together like this, Lord, we need each other. We need you more than anything, God. And we need your word to have a greater impact in our lives and in our hearts, Lord. Open our hearts to receive it. Speak to us, Jesus. Speak to us. Give us a great hunger for the word of God even more, Lord. And help us... Help us, Lord, to find any area that's just contradicting these things and get rid of it, to just get rid of it, Lord. Lord, we count on you and we ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, guess what? The Lord loves you immensely. Amen.